This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 950, A Conversation with Mark Wade. Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Chapman. This is episode 950. It's another conversation with Mark Wade. Uh, if you want to go back and check in the archives for uh, prior conversations with Mark, you can check out, this is actually, I think it's fifth time, so you can check out episode 620. Uh, we talk about Cross-Gen's Ruse. Uh, episode 724, I actually have a joint conversation with Mark and Brian Augustine, who sadly had recently passed away. We have another conversation in episode 770, where we talk about history of the Marvel Universe. Uh, that one was recorded just at the beginning of the COVID pandemic back in April 2020. And then there's episode 872 uh, from April 2021, where I talk about uh, Kazar that he worked on with Andy Kubert, his short-lived run at X-Men, and more. Uh, so if you want to go back into the archive and listen to those excellent conversations with Mark, I really recommend it. Mark is one of my favorite uh, people to hear talk about comics. Uh, there's just something about the way he tells stories about comics his tone. Uh, he's just such a great uh, orator, and I really enjoyed having him on this episode once again. Uh, so on the show once again, in this particular episode, uh, we talk about a, f- a bunch of things. We talk about kind of upcoming projects. Uh, he's doing Batman Superman. Uh, we talk a little bit about uh, as I mentioned, Brian Augustine, who recently passed away. Uh, and we, we get into a few things. Um, we, you know, we never have a, a lot of time with Mark, but we try to make do with the time we have. We talk a little bit of, very little bit about Kingdom Come. Uh, we just talk a bit about original art that he has from people he's collaborated with so uh if you're a fan of mark i think you're really going to dig this conversation it was a pleasure as always to have him on the show uh so let's jump into it but before we do some housekeeping you can always email me at comic shenanigans at gmail.com rate the show on itunes subscribe to us on itunes and listen to us on stitcher episode 850 sorry 952 will be a conversation with jm demateus and that will be coming out in just a couple of days uh so thanks again uh, for downloading this episode let's jump right into the conversation with mark wade enjoy Mark, welcome back to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. Where are you today? I'm good, thanks. It's always a pleasure to have you on, and I mentioned uh, kind of off-podcast through email that this might be the last time I have you on the show, because the show's winding up in August, so I, I just want to say, as a, as a lifetime fan of your work, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure and honor to be able to have you on the show numerous times and to talk about your work, so I really appreciate it. That's very nice to hear, and again, I'm, you know, the, the pod serial cast will, you know, uh, a castle sphere will be sadder without your <laughs> without your presence that's very kind um so before we talk about you know some of the upcoming projects and a, a few things I, I wanted to kind of get to um obviously you know recently um the you know comics world was struck by the loss of brian augustine obviously a, a very close friend of yours and i just wanted to give you the kind of the, an opportunity if you wanted to speak briefly about what brian meant to you you've spoken eloquently on facebook posts etc about obviously what he meant to you and your lifelong you know your, your long friendship together but i wanted to kind of give you the floor to be able to speak a little bit about uh, about brian as well no i appreciate it i he is poorly missed i mean it's uh, you know i know brian i knew brian for 35 years uh we were best friends we were collaborators and as i try to tell people who were a fan of the flash run and i've never been shy about saying this like brian's creative DNA is in all that stuff. It's all out of conversations that we had. Every issue began with a phone call. We would just, you know, chat with each other and try to make each other laugh and 
So if you dug, you know, Impulse or Return of Barry Allen or Born to Run or, you know, Return, you know, Max Mercury, any of that stuff, that's the, you know, without, without Brian, that stuff would not exist. That, without our collaboration, that would, none of that would exist. I, I have never, and again, I've never been shy about saying that I would be working at a car wash right now if not for Brian, frankly, handing my career, by, handing me my career by giving me Flash. So uh, his impact is huge. If you had to, uh, I mean, obviously you worked on a lot of things, both, you know, as direct collaborators and as you said, more of an editor-writer relationship that also created other material. Is there a specific uh, collaboration that is your most fondest memory of working together on a project? I think we had, I think we had the most fun on Impulse. I really do, because Brian and I both love sitcoms as well as dramas, and being able to write something that was a dramedy and being able to, to wring some more humor out of what is traditionally with superheroes, uh, sort of a you know, humorless affair. Um, that I think was probably my favorite work. Although what we did on JLA Year One, I was really proud of too. I thought that was a really nice collaboration, as was the life story of, of Barry Allen. I mean, that was where Brian really shone because I'm not terribly comfortable writing prose. Uh, I mean, it can labor my way through it, but I don't think it's a specific skill of mine. But that's you know, Brian was very good at that. So you know, that was a that was a a collaboration where he brought a lot to the table. Speaking of the Flash, I've always been curious. Like you, know, you come up with the idea of the Speed Force. Uh, what was the conversation like with Brian about introducing something like that into the Flash mythos? I remember we were just talking, and I remember one day I just had the question in mind because I'm always I'm just trying to think about what the world looks like if you got these powers. What does it feel like? What is it? You know, looking at the world through through the eyes of these characters and their abilities. And all of a sudden, I think it just occurred to me one day, like, you know, we got characters like Flash that can actually break the light barrier and be faster than light. What do you see when you break the light barrier? What, you know, what's the visual there? What are you, what are your eyes taking in? And that led to a conversation about, is there something else out there beyond the speed of light? And then that became the speed force pretty quickly. So that was a, you know, that was a conversation back in the day about, I don't know, six or eight months before we actually introduced the idea. It's it's fascinating because I mean I came to the Flash after you'd already you know created the the Speed Force as a concept. It's so hard to imagine a time before the Speed Force because of how many stories have you know well you know mined that well so well of really established you know really tapping into what the, what is this? We've seen it in different media now. We've seen it you know in TV shows etc. And it all kind of comes from that idea. When you guys when you first kind of came up with it was did you feel any resistance from fandom or did it feel like everyone kind of felt like oh this is the missing piece this makes sense this is a kind of an aha moment. Why didn't we do this before? Something a little closer to the end, the second one, although, you know, it wasn't quite as self-satisfied. It was more like, well, you know, there's got to be a reason why Jay Garrick gets, you know, speed from inhaling hard water or <laughs> as we call it, as we call it on Earth, Earth ice. Um <laughs> So, you know, that's a, a nice way of tying these origins together. And it's really was, I mean, we didn't really mean it to be something that was going to be such a part of the firmament. If we had, we probably would have come up with a more clever name than Speed Force because <laughs> that was really just, and we were, you know, and the first, you know, there was resistance from fans in the first 10 years or so, not to the concept so much as just, you know, it sounds too much like the Force. You know, mm. it's just, it's clearly so derivative, and so and it really wasn't. But I, we couldn't think of any other name for it at the time. 
Um, and so luckily, I think the name Speed Force has taken on a life of its own in the last 20 years beyond that. And you now people seem to be comfortable with it. And we no longer get compared to Star Wars anymore. Yeah, it's funny. I, even hearing you mention Star Wars, I was like, I, I never would have. I don't know why it doesn't. It didn't even click in my memory or like in my mind. It did, but boy, it, it was huge back in the day when people were just, well, they're just ripping off, this, you know, Star, Star Wars. No, no, we're not. But anyway, fair enough. Uh, since we last spoke, um, you worked on uh, Fantastic Four Antithesis with Neil Adams. So I got to ask what what that collaboration was like because I mean. Yeah, obviously Neil Adams is you know a titan of the industry. So what was it like to be able to work with him on a book like Fantastic Four? It was so pleasant. I mean, it was such a, a joy because I mean Tom Brevoort, the editor, knew that working with Neil was on my bucket list. But the problem arose at Marvel over and over again. You know, what would Neil want to do and be interested enough to do where we could afford to pay him what you know <laughs> what we can you know what he charges? And so when he came to the table asking to do a Fantastic Four project, uh, Tom hooked him up with me immediately because he knew that would that would be a dream project for me. And, and it really was. It was super pleasant to collaborate with. We had many good phone conversations. We just talked about, you know, what he looks for in a story and what I look for in the story. And, and we both look for heroism. We both look for stories with the, you know that don't have any real cynicism to them. And, I, you know, we're both very much on the same page. So, yeah, I was pleasantly surprised that the words I wrote, you know, showed up on the page and the descriptions I wrote were there in his art. And it was, you know, it was just, there was no point of resistance. There was no issue. There was nothing but joy. When you're working with Neil, like, did you did you find yourself adapting your style? Like, were you going still full script or were you going a little looser because you are dealing with someone like Neil who can definitely, like, you know, bring, bring, he brings the goods, obviously. So, like, how did you right. tailor your writing to his style? I asked him right off, do you, do you want plot dialogue or do you want full script? And he was, he said, let's, let's do full script, which is fine. So I would have done whatever he needed to do to do a, you know, do the job he wanted to do or whatever he would like to have done. Um, so we did full script, uh, but in terms of adapting, I try to think about places where you could do big bombastic hmm. pages. He he asked only specifically for two things. He said, "I want to draw a full page of Galactus, and I want to draw a two page spread of the Silver Surfer." So okay, I can if you those are my guidelines, I can make that work, and so. No, it's, that just required some creative thinking because that's a lot of real estate to eat up in a 22-page comic or 20-page comic. So, uh, but no, I mean, it, it really, I don't think I, I, I was thinking I might have to change my style or adapt a lot, but I really didn't have to. Hmm. When when you when you were talking with Neil about it initially, did it surprise you that he was saying like let's go full script? Like, did you expect that he'd maybe want to be a little bit more like you know taking the plot and kind of adding his own thing to it? Or how, what was your take on it when you talked to him about it? I was surprised because you know Neil you know has a reputation in the industry for taking your script and and you know not I mean taking liberty sounds too uh, like he's like he's doing something wrong it's not that he just he will adapt your script to his rhythms and his images and his imagination so he's very much a collaborator with scripters that I've seen and when they're doing other stories you know people doing other other writers doing stories with them where uh, you know the finished page doesn't look anything like 
it is in the script, but it's still great, so it's not an issue. Uh, but in, so I was kind of expecting that, and in fact, what really pleasantly surprised me was, no, what what I wrote is what Neil drew, which is pretty cool. And actually, I think I, I took that as a compliment from Neil. For sure. When uh, when, when you're working on the project and like it was being released, uh, what was it like just to get those kind of those those pages coming in, just to see Neil Adams, you know, portraying your story. No, it was great. I mean, again, Neil was the very first artist as a kid that I ever recognized by name and was ever a a super fan of. I mean, there's a, you know, when you first start reading comics as a a young kid, there's no such thing as a bad comic. They're all good. Um, (laughs) And they they all, you know, you're not at six. I'm not being able to discern Nick Carty from Kurt Swan from John Romita, but you know, come around eight, nine, ten years old is when I really, you know, is when Neil really started doing Batman stuff and when I really kicked in and discovered. And boy, what a what a shock to the system that was and how uh, huge a fan I was of Neil's back in the day. He was clear, he was absolutely the first artist I was a fan of. So seeing him interpret my work was you know, a nice full circle moment for me. When uh, just speaking in generally of your collaborations over the years, um, how many original pages of books that you've worked on have you have from the artists? I have, I have fewer than you would think. Actually, I'm, I'm always nervous about asking. I always feel awkward about asking because it's you know these pages could be sold to somebody else, or mm-hmm. I will happily buy them. But a lot of times, I'm working with artists who just don't sell their work. Like I, I would love to have a, a Walt Simonson page somewhere in the house, but Walt keeps all his work. I would love to have. You know, more, you know, more from, well, I mean, Barry Kitson's been very generous over the years. I've got a few Barry Kitson pages. I've got uh, a few Chris Somney pages. Mm. I certainly have Paolo Rivera, mm. uh, who did, you know, Daredevil with me, uh, hit it out of the park in that when I was, uh, we were done with Daredevil and I got him to do Green Hornet covers for my run on Green Hornet with, with Dynamite. So he did the covers. And one day, I open up this big FedEx package. This is after the book had finished uh, running, and I open it up, and there's all of the covers. Oh wow! Pencil, all of the covers, original art in that. And I called them up. I said, "You, you, you sent this to me. You meant to send this to your art dealer, clearly." I said, "No, no, no. I said, no, no, no. I really, I wanted you to have them. So that's, you know, that was really something. Um, I also have a few. I mean, I got a, I, I got a page from. Uh, Adam for Andy Kuber from the Red Skull issue of Captain America that was censored mm. and back in the day and, and they cut pages out of it so I've got it, one of those pages that was that was not printed um, I'm just going to look around my looking around my office right now there's still a bunch of a bunch of pages from people I've worked with but just as many pages from artists that I just admire and have not worked with not to put you on the spot but do you have kind of a, a prized possession in terms of original art not to put anyone else to shame but like that one piece that kind of you know, if you can only save one, that might be the one. Yeah, it's, I, there is a, there's a Carmine page, a Carmine Infantino page. It's actually not a page. It's actually a sketch he did for me, and it was so flattering. I had asked him, this is back in like 88, I mean, a long time ago, and, you know, Brian, Brian was such a huge fan of Carmine and the Flash. So for Christmas one year, I contacted Carmine and said, listen, I'd like to buy a sketch from you for, for Brian of, of the Flash characters. And he said, absolutely. He said, no problem. And so I paid him, and a few days later, a package shows up in the mail, and there's a sketch for Brian with the Flash characters, beautiful sketch. And there's a second sketch in there as a gift to me from Carmine, and it's not only the Flash characters, but it's Adam Strange, and it's 
oh, wow. like a chimp, and it's it's like all of the Carmine characters, and what a, and he just gave it to me because I was the only person at DC at that point giving him work, and and I I was the first person to give him work for a long time uh, after he'd left DC or been sort of kicked out in '75 mm-hmm. because you know incoming publisher. You know, and he was he was let he was basically deemed not a good publisher by the higher ups and let go, uh, and held a grudge for a long time and I can't blame him. And uh, in the eighties, I was the only editor really calling him up, going, you know, I, I'd love for you to do some more work here. And he was very he was very generous to me. So that there's a lot of things. I mean, it, it's a it's a six way tie or seven way tie <laughs> for like things I would grab on the way out the door. But I think maybe that's the one with the most sentimental value. Wow, that's an incredible story. Uh, so I'll move on. Um, so coming up soon, you have Batman Superman World's Finest that's coming on sale in March. Uh, you already had the kind of the, the backup in Detective Comics, what is it, 1050, to kind of show yeah. off your run. What is it like coming back to DC and writing these characters? Because it feels like you've been obviously you know at Marvel and other places for a little while now, but now you're working on both Batman and Superman again and also Doom Patrol and other things. What is it like to come back to these characters? Oh, it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, the greatest thing in the world. You know, the the day there was a regime change, you know, a year, year and a half ago or whatever, the phone rang off the hook, which is so flattering. Like, I get three calls from DC editors, two of them before lunch, uh, just saying, what do you want to do? And I was, you know, I, I love the fact, I was so flattered. The door was just open like that for me. And, you know, do you want to do Superman? Do you want to do Batman? Do you want to do Flash? Do you want to do Green Lantern? What do you want to do? And I had said... You know, this is back when Batman Superman was running and Gene Yang was was uh, writing it. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I geez, I you know, I wish I'd gotten that assignment. But I, you know, I mean, I'm not taking it away from Gene. I was like, you know, I, I love reading what he's doing, but boy, that would be the dream assignment. And a couple months later, you know, Paul Kaminsky, the editor, called up and said, "Well, that's coming to an end. So, what about you? You know, what if we relaunched it as World's Finest? Are you in?" I think absolutely. I mean, that's the dream job. Is, is writing Batman and Superman together and I'm just having a blast because the you know the, the the rules laid down by Paul were just do whatever makes you happy um, <laughs> it don't feel don't feel like you got to set it in current continuity because then you're having to interrupt your story every three issues because Superman's off planet or Batman's dead or this is happening or that's happening and it makes it really hard to do a team up book mm. if you're having to also like I said, be adhered closely to what's happening in continuity at that moment. So, you know, the pitch was, okay, let's just set it a few years in previous in DC continuity, just a, a little bit ago. It takes place at a time when uh, Dick Grayson's still Robin for a little while yet to come. He's probably 17 or 18 or so in the book uh, and just about to become Nightwing. But I like him as Robin here. And it's it's that era. Uh, you know, before Clark reveal, reveals his identity to people uh, like Lois or, or whatever. And I'm, again, none of this is a slight on current DC continuity. I, I think Tom Taylor's doing amazing stuff with the Superman franchise. I think uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson is doing awesome stuff with Superman in action. I have no, you know, I have no rushed. I, I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm not saying, boy, I sure wish we would turn back the clock. No, it's not that. Like I really enjoy what's happening at DC now. But if you're giving me a chance to to write stuff that is out of continuity, I like to gravitate towards the, the things that I feel personally connected to, which is you know a Superman with a secret identity and and you know Batman and Robin and boy having Robin in that book, I 
it's it's a gift. I I didn't realize it until I started writing the Detective Comics uh, preview. But having Robin be an active member of that team, so it's not Superman and Batman. It's Superman, Batman, and Robin. Hmm. And having him there, he's he's got a sense of humor. I mean, he's the quipster. He's the you know I can make jokes in the book and have comedy moments that you couldn't have with just Superman and Batman. And that's been a blast having his voice having his point of view uh, has been great what was it like i mean obviously it's, it's a different type of muscle but you write a 10 page you know backup and detective in order to kind of launch into your run was it always kind of designed that way or was it kind of after we're after the fact saying oh you know we could you know get some traction by also showing you know the these 10 pages in uh detective like how did that kind of come about it was actually designed that way it was the pitch was you know we want you to do this book but why don't we've got 10 pages here? Why don't we preview it in a big book like Detective 1050? And what has come out of it yet? I don't think DC's made this announcement yet, but I'm not going to I'm not going to blow any secrets by saying it. Uh, the response to the book has been so good. The advanced response has been so good that DC is actually hasn't announced it yet. But with that first issue of World's Finest, uh, they've taken out all the ads, oh, wow. and they're going to run the they're going to run the 10 page detective story in there as bonus material. So. You got a you know a thirty two page story cover to cover in that first issue for the same price as a regular DC comic, and you've got if you miss the Detective Comics pages, hey, here they are. So that's nice. That's a nice little bonus for sure. Oh, I mean, especially because I mean, like your backup is more into, It's not like it's just a you know just something to kind of get the flavor. Like you have something happen at the end of it that you know obviously is a big impetus for what's going to happen in the run. So it makes sense to kind of package it together. Yeah, I think I think it's a, it was Paul's idea. I think it was a really good idea. Now, when you're writing this, so I'm just curious, just in terms of um, the form. So you have a ten page backup. How do you have to kind of reframe how you how you write? Because instead of getting twenty or twenty two pages, now you're working with ten. How did you kind of have yourself kind of refine things down so you could have a good story that kind of does have a beginning, middle, and end, but it's only ten pages? Like, did you have to? Was it hard to kind of adjust? Yeah, it is. It's tough. I mean, that's, you know, comics writing, fitting a good story into 20 or 22 pages is hard enough, but fitting a one into 10 pages is a lost art. And I'm, you know, I'm helped by the fact that this doesn't have to have a, the 10 pager didn't have to have a complete in one story feel where at the end of the story, everything is back to normal. We do end on a cliffhanger, but uh, it's, you know, uh, uh, it, it wasn't that, it wasn't that much of an adjustment given that it was a cliffhanger, but still, you know, you've got 10 pages, you want to use them wisely. You don't want to just burn them up on full pages and two page spreads and stuff because then there's a reader. It takes you three minutes to read a 10 page story. Well, where's the fun in that? Mm-hmm. Now, again, about the process of kind of writing over the years, obviously, you know, the, the length of regular issues has typically gone down from 22 to 20. Do you feel those two pages missing? I did at first for a long time. It, I, I likened it to if you had made a baseball game eight innings instead of nine, mm. you would it would still be the same game, and you would find a way to adapt. But it would if you were on the field, it would still feel a little funky somehow. So there was a learning curve there. But I'm used to twenty by now, and now DC's back up to twenty two. So <laughs> I'm, it feels like this is awesome. I've learned how to write this in 20 pages. Now you're giving me my two pages back. I really feel like I've got some elbow room here. <laughs> and then working with Dan, what's it like, you know, with his, his visuals are just like, I mean, just looking at the 10 pages in detective, they're fantastic. So what's it like working with him, uh, on Batman Superman? He is so good. He is so 
good. There's such humanity to his work, and yet there's you know really bombastic stuff. And it looks super modern, which I, was super important to me too. Like I, I said going into this book, I, I didn't want to do a book set out of continuity in the past if it looked like a nostalgia trip. I, I really didn't want it to look like it was you know, a roadshow nostalgia trip. Here's Mark. Oh, Mark Waits doing silver age stuff again. No, no, no. I, <laughs> I, I want this to feel contemporary and new and look contemporary and new. And it does. I mean, Dan really just nails it. It's every day. He sends my clockwork. He's, he's a pro every day, about three o'clock in the afternoon. Here's another page. Oh, wow. Here's another page. And they just, it's, you know, the highlight of my afternoon at this point is getting those pages from Dan. It's interesting you mentioned the idea that, you know, kind of it, it has that classic feeling but still looking modern because, you know, back when you did JLA Year One, I would say the same thing was true with Barry um, because, you know, it, it had a very, you know, it had it, it did feel like a throwback but at the same time felt very modern of the time as well. I think so. I think so. And, and Dan even more so. Dan, really, this is timeless work that he's turning in. When you guys were starting to kind of work on it, how much discussion was there just about, and maybe maybe you didn't have a lot of conversations with Dan about it, but uh, what you wanted the costumes to look like. Specifically, I guess, Batman and Robin. Like, Superman just looked classic. He's got the trunks and everything. But, you know, with Batman and Robin, was there a lot of discussion back and forth on exactly what the design would be? Not a whole lot. It was, that more came from Paul, who said, you know, Dan, just give us, you know, classic Batman and, and Robin. And Dan did with a, a little twist. If you see in the detective story, it is very much classic Dick Grayson Robin, except he's wearing pants. <laughs> and instead of asking Dan to get rid of the pants, I thought, no, 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 I can just, I'll just work into the story. So somewhere in issue two, you know, somebody says to him, hey, nice pants. He says, I'm trying them out. And that's it. Then we're covered. <laughs> that's great. Now, I, one thing I had I had mentioned kind of off podcast when I had originally talked about doing this interview, um, I had mentioned that there was a comic I was curious to chat with you about. I didn't know if you'd remember it or not. I know you have an amazing memory for covers and for Superman comics. So the one that I kind of had in my mind was uh, Superman 220 from 1969. Do you know this comic? Uh, I, off the top of my head, it's, 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 it's not the two-ton Superman, is it? It's not the giant fat Superman, is it? <laughs> Thankfully not, no. Uh, that's not, that's 220, 221. No, 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 no. I don't need, okay. I don't need your help. I don't need your help. I can do this. Okay. Because I know 219 is the Neil Adams shot of, Kurt's one Neil Adams shot of Clark on, on people's shoulders being, you know, lifted out of a crowd and a pack and a shot of Superman in the background. Um, 220, it's not the Flash issue either. That's not, that's not, that's not the Flash guest star issue. Um, I know there's nothing more exciting in a podcast than looking at somebody <laughs> go, uh, uh, uh. So, Mark, I, I will say it, it is with The Flash. Oh, it is The Flash. It is the, Who Stole My Super Speed. That's the one. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the one, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, your, your, your amazing memory uh, still still cannot be beaten. The fact that you could think about it and get it within like a couple minutes is still pretty incredible. Um, I wanted to chat with you about this because... You know, we talked before about, you know, comics, and this is what we talked about in previous podcasts, too, about, you know, the comics that you first kind of read really mean something to you. So you talked about, you know, how Neil Adams was kind of that first artist that really made you take notice. So this was the first comic book I ever read was Superman 220. Um, I don't know how my dad still had it. He, it's funny because he's always told me, you know, he wasn't really into comics and that he'd given them up after he was, you know, a kid. But somehow he had this when he was 19 years old. So I guess he lied at some point. 
um, because, yeah. but um, there's just something about this issue and what this kind of reminds me of is this kind of fun team up aspect of having these characters and you have you know they forget who they are they think that they're each other and I just there's something really classic and pure about that do you I mean, when how do you feel about this issue I mean you remember the cover what do you think about yeah, I remember the story intimately I remember you know it's it's Kurt Swanning by George Russo so which was never a good combination <laughs> but uh, and it's a Jim Shooter story as I recall and it is, it's yeah. the you know this is the one where Superman and Flash wake up one day and, and realize they have each other's superpowers exactly uh, and it's, it's a look I, I, I enjoy that I enjoy seeing these characters in other people's you know, in other people's worlds. I like, it's not just having Superman and Flash standing next to each other punching stuff. It's, you know, you've got Lois Lane and you've got Iris West and you have different elements of these characters. And that's another thing we're going to be doing with World's Finest that I really want to do is I really want to do, you know, Perry White and Commissioner Gordon together. I really want to do Robin and, and Jimmy Olsen together. I really want to take these characters' worlds. It's not just you know, so Superman and Batman are going to take all of their mythos and all of their uh, accoutrement, if you will, all their toys, mm-hmm. and sort of mix them together. Yeah, I mean, because it's fun, right? I mean, the comics yeah. can be fun. Like, I, 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 I look at this issue, and I know that there's elements of it that are obviously silly. You have Barry Allen making a very perfect Clark Kent mask, you know, like stuff in there that's kind of silly, but it's fun. Yeah. And it's in the, there's just, I don't know, there's just something very wholesome and fun about it. Yeah. Oh, I, and again, I hesitate to say the word fun with with World's Finest because I still think there's still a contingent of comics readers that are like, ooh, fun. That's terrible. <laughs> but it is fun. You know, frankly, that was the remit from editorial. It's just we don't want dark and grim and gritty. And it can be serious, and, and it is serious in some places. It's very serious. And I think one of the things that I like to do in my scripts, and I think I do pretty well, is joke, joke, joke. Oh shit! Joke, joke, <laughs> joke! Oh god! Um, the, I want to keep you on your toes, and, and you know, as with Daredevil, it's like funny, 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 and then you turn the page, and there's a you know room full of disembodied heads or whatever. So it's <laughs> I, I like going back and forth like that, and this is this is very much of that spirit. What I mean, obviously, you've worked on like Brave and the Bull before, so you've done the kind of team up stuff. Is that something that you always find interesting to see? You know, what could bring these people together, and how they would interact? How they interact is the is the thing because that's where you get to tell stories that haven't been told before. Like it's it's hard to tell a Batman story that's not been told before, but it's easy to tell a Batman story if it's Batman and Wonder Woman teamed up together, or if it's Batman and Green Lantern teamed up together, because you're seeing the characters through each other's eyes and you're seeing how these personalities interact with each other in you know in ways that you don't normally. And that's to me that's the fun of it is not boy, how would it look if they were together or what kind of villains would they fight? It's just more fun to me to think, are right, you put, you know, is Superman and, I don't know, Metamorpho in a room together? <laughs> like, what is that conversation? What is, you know, you put Robin and the Doom Patrol together. Um, there is a scene in issue two, and I'll spoil a little bit, but Supergirl shows up, and you have a conversation with between Robin and Supergirl. We've never seen this. We've never, ever seen Dick Grayson and Supergirl have a conversation in 80 years of comics, ever, ever. <laughs> and when I realized that, oh, this is going to be great. So, and it was fun. 
I, I got to ask then. So, I mean, I, I, this idea of kind of seeing un, unlikely combinations and then putting them together yeah. was Doom Patrol kind of the first thing in your mind? Did that again come from conversations with the editor? Like, what was it about Doom Patrol that said, I got to use them? We've never seen Superman and Doom Patrol. We've never seen Batman and the Doom Patrol. We've seen Superman and like the, the 70s Doom Patrol, the Paul Kupperberg, mm. you know, Celsius, radio, negative woman, whatever. That was in one issue of DC Comics Presents. We have never seen Batman and the Doom Patrol on the page together. And that alone, I'm like, awesome. This is what I want to do with World's Finest. I want to show you stuff in the DC universe you've never seen before. Now, do you have a, an, like kind of an issue commitment that you're kind of thinking in your mind how long you'd like this to go for? Or do you, are you in it for kind of the long haul until it gets, you know, until it's not fun, which is forever, I guess? But, like, what, what, what is your idea? I think I'm going to run out of ideas about issue 120, somewhere along in there. Uh, but, but for the time being, you know, I mean, I've got, you know, three years worth of ideas just in a notebook right now. And that's without even hardly trying so I ran I ran out of time because originally I was also going to ask you about Kingdom Come. So I but I will ask you one question: Do you own sure. any of the original Kingdom Come pages from Alex? I do. I own my favorite sequence. I own the scene at the very end when everything is done and Superman's back in the fortress and Wonder Woman comes to visit him and Superman's plowing up these fields and Wonder Woman realizes there's still one thing that Superman hasn't sort of reclaimed and that's his glasses and gives him his glasses back and allows him to be Clark Kent one more time. That's the first idea I ever had for the book. It's the first concept that I ever had when I was talking with Alex about, you know, the, the personalities of the book or the sweet moments. And Alex was kind enough, you know, back in the day to give me those two pages and they are framed on the wall and uh, do not steal them. I'm home <laughs> all the time. We work from home all the time. I'm always here. Don't even think about it. All right. Well, again, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's always a pleasure, as always, and uh, I look forward to uh, what you've got cooking up in Batman Superman. All right. Thanks so much. I appreciate the opportunity, and again, uh, good luck in your future endeavors, sir.